I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. School of Humans. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cadaver Gals, the podcast where we talk about all of the fun and crazy ways that people have died to cope with our own mortality. I am your host, Taylor, along with Nika. Oh, hi. And Gabby. Hey. So today we are going to talk about the dangers of opening an ancient tomb and what happens when you have too many corpses in the city. Oops. Corpses in the city. So today's trigger warnings are actually pretty intense. We do talk about Nazis, concentration camps a bit, mummies, bacterial infection, bodily fluids, corpses, cemeteries, and the French. So if you have a weak stomach, look out. Cue cadaver theme. Okay, great. So during that theme, we talked about how bad Nazis are, both from World War II and today. So that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we should just kind of dive right in. Nika, do you want to tell us about how you shouldn't be breaking into tombs? Absolutely. You know... Wait, hold up. We're not supposed to? Cancel your summer plans, Gabby, lovingly. (laughs) Oh, damn it. I know, I know, I know. Hot girl summer is not going to involve opening up ancient tombs hot corpse summer hot corpse summer we're all hot corpses aren't we so Mm -hmm. i recently 
rewatched The Mummy, the 1999 movie. When it came out, I was two years old. So I rewatched it because, you know, when you're two, you're not really allowed to see stuff like that. And um, wow, what a work of art. I mean, it's truly a film for everyone. It's a film mostly <laughs> for the bisexuals, but truly it's a film for everyone. Anyone who likes beautiful people should watch this movie. It's incredible. Why is it for bisexuals? Because everyone's so hot. Everyone. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. They don't go over bisexual like themes. They just, oh, no. <laughs> there's just hot people. Yeah. Got it. Everyone's favorite bisexual film, The Mummy. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Didn't you know that bisexuals open ancient tombs? Gabby, you should know that as a part of the bisexual community. Wow. Since all bisexuals okay. know all bisexuals. Yes. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. Well, so I watched that. And did you guys actually know that the movie is a documentary? So bananas. So great. <laughs> 100% a documentary. It's a one-to-one? Great. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like that's, that's the joke I make about everything, and now you're saying, no, really, it's a documentary. No, it is. Well, I actually do think I took that joke from you. By documentary, obviously, I mean it is based very loosely on King Tutankhamun's curse, which is said to have killed a few people in the 1920s. I used to be and still am pretty fascinated with Egyptian mythology and ancient Egyptian culture. So I'm very excited to dive into this. Did you guys like my segue? I dive know you did. in. <laughs> you did it. 10 out of 10. Thank you. The bisexual community stands behind <laughs> you. I do it for them. So this man, we're going to the 1920s, of course. And this man, a fancy man, he's a lord. His name is Lord Carnarvon. Carnarvon. Mm. I'm going to pronounce it like that, but I'm pretty sure there's a different way to pronounce it. Also, white people always be like, oh, it's, your name's hard to pronounce. Car- how do you say Carnarvon? Carnarvon. Okay. Anyway, all Car- that to say. Kavanaugh? Yes. Kavanaugh. Kavan- Brian Kemp. Kavanaugh. He's a racist. Anyway. Wait, this is Brian <laughs> Kemp in the 1920s? No, I would never speak of him. So he is an English earl, not Brian Kemp, Lord, the Lord Carnarvon, and he died in 1923. He and his family were super rich because of, you know, the whole Lord thing. And he <laughs> visited Egypt for the first time after a really bad car accident that left him kind of immunocompromised. It seems like before going to Egypt, he was into, like, automobiles and how cool and new they were at the time. He was going a little fast, a little speed racer, and got hurt really badly. I was going to say died, but no. <laughs> yeah, he has yet to die in that moment. So he obviously was immunocompromised because of the car accident. He would get consistent lung infections. The weather in England was bleak and rainy and obviously not great for his system. So he would winter in Cairo, which you know someone is rich when they go, I'm wintering in whatever, Cairo. That's all I want to be when I grow up is somebody who like summers somewhere or yes, basically I just want to be rich, but I want to just like have a different house for the different seasons. Like I understand that. Yeah. At this point in my life, I'm honestly not going to try to be rich by myself. I'm just going to let my partner do it and then mooch off of them. Yeah, I feel like it's pretty clear I'm not going to be rich. (laughs) You don't know that, Taylor. (laughs) I also think it's fun how it's like, I don't feel like people prescribe that anymore. It's like, go live in a different place to feel better. Like, go take the air elsewhere you need different air my dudes yeah Yeah. but before that before it was like a whole a whole big thing that's like why 
Swedish like bath cities where they just said the air was really clear and the water was really clean. They would like take children there who had like, I don't know, typhoid or whatever. Anyway, what's typhoid? <laughs> I don't know. So he goes into, so he goes to Egypt for the winters and he's kind of bored in Cairo. And so he gets into this Egyptology craze, which was something that people with a lot of money were getting into at the time. They were doing this as a hobby. There was actually a word called Egyptomania because it was all bananas. And these people that had money would finance or lead excavations in Egypt and dig for artifacts and tombs and mummies and treasure, which, yeah, they did find some treasure sometimes. This kind of trend started right after Napoleon's invasion of Egypt in 1798, and it continued for like, I mean, decades and decades at that point. So our friend, the Lord, was really into that. And yeah, I don't know. He might have gone to, they had these things called um, mummy unwrappings, where, and this was like in the Victorian times, so we're talking like late 1800s but who knows he could have maybe gone to one but um this victorian surgeon he would conduct these things and basically he had a mummy and he he, it was like a social thing he would like put it on a table and unwrap it in front of people and he did so obviously for profit and because people were fascinated and also because of racism he wanted to prove that egyptians were not black okay that is fucked up wow anyway what a fun hobby. I also feel like that's like the, you know, bloggers now and they're like unboxing of their whatever it is. They <laughs> it's like the, same <laughs> the first unboxing well, is the, the un- unwrapping. unwrapping. Like, the first yeah. unboxing was actually Egyptian mummies and it was to fuel racist ideologies. I love it. Thanks so much for <laughs> connecting those dots, Taylor. Um, <laughs> no wonder you're talking about Nazis in this episode. Anyway, so back to Lord Current Carner. Mm-hmm. Carnival. Lord Circus. So he is in Egypt and he doesn't know a lot about ancient Egyptian culture or how to excavate things. So his first few excavations don't go well. Then he meets this guy, Howard Carter. Howard is a scientist and an archaeologist who needs a financer for his projects. It makes sense that they get along very well then. And the Lord agrees to find the Lord, God. No, the Lord agrees <laughs> to finance Carter's excavations. The Lord. And this is how it begins. They have a beautiful friendship. They're excavating. They are out in the desert. It was said that um, for Lord Carnarvon, this was like a hobby. And so he would take his wife. Which, okay, that's cool. He's a wife guy. And um, they would go to the desert to where the excavations were happening and have, like, a cool tent with mosquito net coverings. And she would go in high heels and fancy dresses. And they would watch Egyptians and Howard, like, slave over these tombs and try to, like, break them open for him. That's so weird. I don't love that. I don't don't love that either. (laughs) So that was, like, a hobby for him. And it was going, actually, relatively well. They're excavating with dozens of workers, and they find some buried artifacts. This happens for a couple of seasons, but there really aren't any, like, big discoveries. And finally, Lord Carnarvon is like, hey, dude, like, I can't do this anymore. This is a lot of money. We haven't discovered anything. And then Carter is like, give me one more season. I'll even pay for it myself. And good guy Carnarvon, which, again, I don't know how good this guy was, but he's like, you know what? One more season on me, bro. Slaps the tab, like, on the bar, pays for it, goes back to London just to let Howard do his thing in Egypt. So Carter, Howard Carter, is leading the excavation in this area called the Valley of the Kings. It's November 1922. 
He has a hunch that this is where he'll find King Tutankhamun's tomb. He has like a feeling. Three days in, mm. yes, three days into the excavation, this Egyptian water boy trips on a stone and looks down at the ground. The stone has opened a hole where he can see oh. what looks like steps. What? What? Uh-huh. And so he calls to Carter, Howard Carter. I don't know why I gave Howard, Howard, Howard Carter. Okay, sorry. Howard Carter, come hither. <laughs> I have found something under the stone. Precisely. Who rushes over immediately, never credits the boy, and um, they end up uncovering a staircase that leads to a door with royal Egyptian symbols on it. Carter out of respect for his financer, does not open the door and instead calls for Lord Carnarvon, who arrives two weeks later because he's like, you have to be here when I open this door. Can you imagine how long, like, that Two would be, weeks. Two weeks you'd have to wait to, oh, oh that I be- know, and they had to, the way these things worked is like, if you found something but you couldn't open it yet, you had to rebury it to make sure that like tomb robbers didn't, you know, kind of catch wind of what was going on and then obviously uncover it again. So it's just like a whole process. But he was nice and he waited and it paid off because they open the tomb and they see gold and statues and jewels and sure enough, King Tut's tomb. KTT, you know what it be. It is 3,000 years old and has never been opened. A lot of these tombs had already been raided by grave robbers or, I don't know, tomb raiders, as I said, but this one was untouched and had never been found. So these men, ignoring the curses carved into the tomb, which, by the way, these curses can range from like sounding like contracts almost, like, hey, if you do something bad in here, you will receive a hundred lashes on your back, which is is an example of something that was carved into someone's tomb, um, to stuff like, whoever trespasses will have their neck wrung by the gods like that of a goose. So, like, it's not ideal to open it. And what do they do? What do they do, y'all? They open it. They open it. They open it. And it's dusty. It's dirty. They end up um, taking the tomb, the jewels, the gold, the mummy. So the king, they take the actual, like, pharaoh. Um, They take all of it. Absolutely all of it. And um, news spreads very quickly that they open King Tut's tomb and sensationalist journalism takes a hold of it and starts to spin tales on how random accidents that some workers got into were directly the cause of the curse and all that sort of stuff. But they don't have any real substantial claims. Until... Dun, dun, dun. Lord Carnarvon is shaving. And this is a couple of months post-tomb opening. P-T-O. The original After the tomb (laughs) unboxing. After the tomb unboxing, yes. So he is shaving. He's looking at himself in the mirror, really proud to be stealing from ancient Egyptians. And then as he's shaving, he accidentally opens up this mosquito bite that was on his cheek. And it starts, you know, bleeding. And it's just like a cut. And he's like, oh, shoot, you know, I cut myself. Okay. The cut gets infected. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I know. And sure enough, he dies of pneumonia a couple of days later. Oh, wow. Obviously, I know. That escalated. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he had those lung infections. You know, a doctor once said, hey, if you get pneumonia, you'll probably die. Just like know that. So obviously, the press says it's the curse, which, okay, sure, question mark. Now, I say it's the curse, too. Yeah, why not? Well, I feel like when the press 
back then got a hold of this story, they didn't take into account that he was immunocompromised, you know. They didn't take in all the facts. They didn't take in all the facts, mm. exactly. And if it's one thing the cadaver gals know, it's the facts. <laughs> yeah, we know. <laughs> we got them. The facts. facts. We got them. Exactly. But what I will say about this, so, you know, was it the curse? Probably not. But what I will say, there are some weird things that make the curse feel a little bit true, just like a tiny bit in the a back of my head. Here. Yes, exactly. So first of all, many ancient Egyptian curses warn people that if they take from the sacred tomb, they will die of unexplainable, unavoidable illnesses. So it's not like, hey, a ghost is going to come and like kill you. You know, it's like, hey, you're going to die and it's going to be of an illness. And then he did. Wow. <laughs> I know. Wow. It must be true, Nika. Now that you spelled it out like that, I feel like there's no way it couldn't not be true. Because so thank nobody you. dies of illnesses. Okay. Well, listen up, you whores. I have more. Okay. <laughs> more oh. for the whores. Uh huh. So, <laughs> okay. so <laughs> Carter's pet cannery, because he had a little yellow bird that would sing for him in his house Aww. in Egypt, was eaten. By a cobra the day that he opened the tomb, okay? Come on. Come on. That's kind of symbolic and sus, right? Cobras get hungry. Oh, okay. And eating Carter's specific bird on the specific day that he opened the specific tomb? Hmm, 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 hmm. And then the strangest part that definitely kind of messed with my head is the following. There were reports that King Tut had a lesion on his cheek in the same place where the mosquito bit Lord Carnarvon. But because okay, the Lord accept that one. had an autopsy, we'll never know. I accept that one. I mean, it has to be true now. You, mm-hmm. you provided us three suspicious things. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, the curse got him. I'm just sitting back drinking my hot chocolate being like, I did my job. You did. You did. You've, you um, solved it. You've convinced these two jurors. Yeah, we're convinced it was a curse. So, uh, what it, where, where, what did they do with the money, with the gold? So it was really interesting. A lot of the objects that were still in his private collection, he said that when he was to die, that they would be offered to the quote-unquote nation, so the British Museum, which, by the way, taken from a nation to give to another nation. Okay. Um, (laughs) A thoughtful analysis there, Nika. I liked (laughs) that. Thank you. I was like, "Mm." Um, (laughs) for only 20,000 pounds, which is obviously way below the value. I mean, literally, it was like at least 1,200 very precious objects that he had. And Lady Carnarvon did not like that idea because she was like, why? I need more dresses. And so (laughs) basically to honor her husband, she offered it to the nation, but only gave the director of the British Museum until 4 p.m. on the same day to make a payment. Obviously, they could not do that. And so then she offered the collection to the Metropolitan Museum in New York, and it sold for £145,000. Well, I hope she got something nice out of that, you know? Another (laughs) moment where the deceased do not get what they want. (laughs) Oh, great. This is exciting. I'm going to talk about that later today. Oh, my God. I didn't even mean to do that. It's so thematically similar. Oh, my God. Yes. So we're going to take a quick break. 
But when we come back, I'm going to kind of talk about some of the other things that are found in tombs. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. 
Listen to Woke App Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, you cadaver pals. So, Nika just told us a wonderful story about how you really just shouldn't be taking things from people to then, like, sell to other countries and whatnot and breaking into tombs and things. But as Nika mentioned, that was a really pretty popular and common thing. People were looking for tombs, trying to find those riches. But these tombs were essentially created for the deceased to prepare for the afterlife. So it was more than just those treasures and jewels. But also a lot of these people that had these tombs were pretty like well-to-do to begin with. So of course they were there. And those were the elite that they were thought to join the gods. So obviously they had to they had to like look good in the afterlife, right? But obviously you need more than riches in the afterlife. Um you need tools, furniture, clothes, undergarments and food 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 food. that's my favorite oh actually my favorite is they would bury their pets with them so they'd be with their little buddies and i just love that yeah but they would kill their i was gonna ask so they'd kill their pets and their slaves okay that's that's (laughs) That's my favorite part that's not my favorite part my favorite part is that they have their buddies with them anyway thanks gabby no, they died together at the same time. Um, coincidentally. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, anyway, obviously because of like the rumors of the jewels and all the riches, people were out looking for these tombs. But when they were building them, knowing this, that people are greedy little people. Um, <laughs> Good insult. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. You could have said like literally anything. I was thinking gremlins. I, was I know. Thinking... I just like. I mean, I was gonna say monsters, but anyways, these you greedy, greedy little person. Yeah, people. <laughs> anyways, they were super greedy, and they knew that. So when they were building the tombs, they would actually try and hide the entrances to keep try and keep this from happening at least for a long period of time. So there could be. So many more treasures out there for people to discover and, you know, take and sell, as Nika said. But that's not where I'm going with this. We're here to talk about the snacks. Oh. So in addition to all those other lovely things, they, you know, they had food there for them. So they would mummify meats like ribs and chicken. Like they had all kinds of good stuff. And you know what else goes great with a smorgasbord of meats? Cheese. So, in 1885, the Tomb of Patames was discovered, but shortly after its discovery, a sandstorm hid the entrance, and they lost the tomb. They were like, oh no, where did it go? They, tombs just get lost so easily. So, in 2010, when the tomb was rediscovered, the scientists went in, you know, to see what was going on, and they found this vat of a solid white substance. Like, it was a pretty big vat, like a barrel. And the scientists were like, ew, what is that? So they were, they chemically tested it and determined that it was in fact cheese that is thirty two hundred years old. So, was it like queso? N- it was hard at this point. Ew. So, so it was actually like a chevre cheese. So they did some science things and based on history, it was thought to be more of like a chevre. So it was like soft, spreadable for all those people who don't eat cheese. All those vegans. I love a good spread. And exactly. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so what would happen, do you, a- you ask, if you eat cheese this old? 
I was about to ask that. I knew. I knew it. Because they were, I think they were all looking like, mm, you know, there's cheeses out there that are moldy. So why not eat this cheese, right? Anyway, so at the time, even when it was fresh, it may have had harmful bacteria called Bru- Brucella melton. Melatensis. <laughs> Brucella melatensis, perhaps, is how you pronounce that. It's just found mostly in sheep and goats, but it's considered to be eradicated as of now, except for like very rare cases in unpasteurized cheeses. So anyway, and like for the symptoms for that would be flu-like symptoms. Um, but if you just let this bacteria run rampant in your system, it can cause swelling of the heart, liver, spleen, and swelling of the testicles. But don't you worry. It's treatable with antibiotics. Not my testicles. Oh, no. 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 So, yeah, don't you worry, ladies. Your testicles will be fine if you just get antibiotics. That's fascinating. So you could have 3,200-year-old cheese and relatively survive? I mean, they don't recommend it. They still said don't do it. Don't well, yeah, eat. I don't think when the FDA doubt. is going to be like, hey... You can eat the cheese. (laughs) Well, you can't even import like French cheese a lot of the time. People are so sassy. Bro, I can't even have a Kinder Egg, like the ones that come with the little toy inside. Because the FDA said no, or someone, some big company. So did they eat the cheese? They did not eat the cheese, but they did suggest that it would taste dusty and like dirty. What a bunch of pussies. They didn't eat the cheese? No. But they also (laughs) suggested that perhaps that is how Patames died, is from a bacteria from the cheese, because cheeses were like, you know, a little uh, insecure in that hot climate. Climate. (laughs) Can't stop So they think that he died because of the cheese, but then he was buried with cheese. Yes. They're saying that it's possible. That's like being buried with your murderer. Oh, my gosh. But, you know... I was um, I came across this this story about this man from Philadelphia who requested he be buried with his two favorite Philly cheesesteaks, to which his family obliged. But he also suggested that they don't put them in the casket until like after the the wake is done because they didn't want anybody to steal his and eat his sandwiches. So. I actually like the idea of being buried with a nice charcuterie board and perhaps some wine. Wait, but did he get killed by the Philly cheesesteaks? He did not. Oh. But but that, you know, you can still die from something but still love it too. So my guess is mm. if he did even die if he even died from the eating the cheese, that doesn't mean he didn't love it going mm. as it was taking him down, you know. This is giving me like Steve Irwin vibes, you know? Like oh. I feel like he would say you know, I just because that I a stingray killed me doesn't mean the stingrays are bad, you know? Exactly. Still love the animals. Oh, gosh, rest in peace, Steve. <laughs> I would like to have a casket where it's me dead, right? And mm-hmm. then it's like loose chips, like not chips in the bag, but you fill the whole thing up with chips. Well, yeah, because otherwise you'd just be getting a lot of air. Yeah, so because- I think it'd be cool to be like, a chip basket. That's that's now how I would like to be buried. We have so many options. Like we come up with more and more ideas every single episode, I feel like. Well, Gabby, would you like to tell us 
about what to do when there's too many graves, bodies. You get rid of corpses. them. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, done too and done. Much stuff, not enough Thank space. Thank you for listening to Cadaver Gals. <laughs> yeah, take them to the landfill. Well, here's what we're talking about today. We're talking about Gay Perry, Perry, France, Paris, France. And yeah, they had a bit of a corpse crisis and oh, they ooh. had to figure it out. And because they had too many of them. That's the thing about people. Like, they be dying and then they just start piling up. So you got to figure out what to do with them. So picture this. It's Paris, France, 1780. Are we there? We are there. The beautiful limestone buildings. Or maybe they're beautiful. I don't know. They look fine. Paris. The Eiffel Tower is not there yet. So don't even think about that, okay? But we're on this one street. It's called the Rue de Lingerie, okay? not lingerie. And this guy, he owns a restaurant and he goes down into his cellar, you know, to get a bottle of wine. Is it for himself? Is it for his patrons? Is he about to drink alone or is he going to go serve it? We don't know, but he's in his cellar and it's a rainy ass day, like super rainy. And then suddenly one of the walls of his cellar collapses oh, no. and in pours a stack of stinky decaying corpses. Ooh. Oopsies. And he's like, oh, la, la, sacre bleu, mon dieu. That's exactly what he said. He probably shrieked it. He said, oh, this is so yucky. I do not like this. And then he was Italian. Okay. (laughs) But he isn't the only guy in the rue that this happens to. Uh, Several of their homes and basements get flooded with corpses or like literally just a few corpses. But just for the imagery, let's say a flood of corpses came piling into these basements, okay? Because the Rue de Lingerie is located right next to the very large cemetery of the Cemetery of the Holy Innocents. I mean, this wasn't even the beginning of it, but this was just at the beginning of Paris's corpse crisis. A lot of people on the street, also like in that area of where the cemetery was, had been noting that there was a cadaverous odor in the air. Mm-mm. Side note, cadaverous odor will be Cadaver Gal's new perfume line coming to stores near you soon. At this time in this neighborhood, a lot of people were claiming that they were sick. And so the state sent basically their smell inspector, Mm. like the inspector who is supposed to be like cognizant of measuring the quality of the air. Uh, So they sent him to go see what was up. And he was like, indeed, this is Boku gross. And he reported in the area that there was a variety of illnesses, respiratory ailments, delirium, Mm -hmm. and violent fits of vomiting just because it smelled so bad. I don't like that at all. Nope. I bet Nika's having a good time with this part. I'm like people are getting sick from breathing in dead people. That's what's happening. Yes. And also at the time, one of the, th- the theory of how disease was spread was miasma, uh, which is just basically like the air has bad vibes and we're getting it from the air. And obviously that's not actually how all diseases spread. I mean, yeah, COVID going through the air or whatever, but miasma is not a real theory. Just I don't know. At this point. COVID has bad vibes. It does have bad vibes, but my asthma, that's what they were thinking too, is like the reason people were getting sick was because of the smell, but I guess they were because also you can get diseases from decaying corpses. Mm. Um, Like it wasn't until doctors discovered like maybe they should wash their hands after autopsies before they deliver the babies. It wasn't until then that like 
female mortality rates decreased and babies, oh. more of them survived. So you know what, dead bodies, you don't keep your six feet. Do a social distancing with a corpse, okay? You don't Wash need your to hands. be all over that. Wash your hands, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, the next time that a corpse asks you to hang out, say, hey, yeah, like, I don't know kind of how you're feeling about the pandemic, but I would rather, like, do a six-feet hangout, be outside, if that's cool with you, you know? We all respect each other's differences. I'm six feet under. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, they, they, they stay social distancing, those corpses. <laughs> that's why. The original social distancers. The, the original social distancers are dead people. Good job, guys. <laughs> okay, so... This dude, the the inspector, he's like, yeah, this is a problem. This is a public health crisis. We got to do something about the corpses. Here's what had been happening. They had been burying people inside of Paris since the ninth century. At that point, they were burying people usually further away. Um, it was banned to bury in, in the city, but then all of these like religious people were like, well, we should bury like the bishops and the abbots and the priests and stuff in the city. But then everybody jumped on that bandwagon was like, I also want to be buried in the city, my dudes. So let me be buried there too. So obviously it was getting a little crowded. And over the course of the 18th century, even before these bodies literally fell into people's basements, Mm -hmm. uh, they had been talking about how this was a big problem. Like the first time it was cited was in 1737 when these medical experts and philosophers were like, wow, bodily decay is a menace, my dudes, and it could cause us to be sick. But then nothing really happened. And then again, there's this other study in 1763, because also here's the thing, people were just getting buried like willy-nilly, kind of like they would just like throw a body in a cemetery and then like pat a little dirt on top of it. And so, (laughs) you know, not exactly. That wasn't exactly, but that was a problem was literally like, in these cemeteries throughout the city, the soil level was higher than like the house level. So basically it was like piles of corpses then being buried as opposed to them actually being buried in the ground. And it was stinky. It smelled bad. So in 1763, they were like, this is a problem. And also people like apparently weren't burying people fast enough. They would just like let it sit out for a while. It's just like, guys, like dig a hole. Like, dig deeper, my dudes. But they weren't doing that. So then in 1765, after this study came out that was like, this is a problem, they decided to stop burials inside the city and put and start doing them outside, like, the walls of Paris. But then none of those laws were upheld because of the church. Because the church was like, yo, people need to be buried. And we are, like, near our churches because we are responsible for their souls and stuff. So, like, they can't be that far away. And so then everyone just right. ignored the laws, you know? Move your church. How about that? Yeah, move your also, church. Like, I don't know if souls kind of, you know, need to be close by in order to be available, right? Like, Well, that's an interesting argument because that's what they bring up a little bit later in this drama, uh, as it were, the drama of the corpse crisis, which is also my new metal band. <laughs> so it's finally in 1780 when these bodies fall into these people's basements uh that's when everything starts being taken seriously this happened because all of this street was right next to the cemetery of the holy innocence which is a huge cemetery um and they estimated that about one-tenth of the city's dead every year was buried at holy innocence 
So they were like, okay, let's think through this. What should we do? So what they decided was that they were going to start excavating these corpses and then taking them outside to the suburbs, you know, so that they would have these more rural suburban cemeteries that they would create or just really just go somewhere, like just go toss your dead elsewhere. So over a period of six months in 1785, they start excavating 22,000 corpses from Holy Innocence. And obviously this is a big drama. It's a lot of work and a lot of other shit happens because of it, because then they're transporting these corpses outside of town um, and they're going through these neighborhoods and like some of the corpses keep falling off the Uh. wagons and then it smells really bad. So then everybody in those neighborhoods are like, it's worse now. You made it worse. I hate it. Just stirring up the smell. Yeah, and there's other neighborhoods who were also petitioning the government, being like, hey, can you excavate our graveyard nearby? Because it also stinks. And so they were like, fine, we'll do it. But then here's what happened. They were doing their plan, but then this thing happened called the revolution, right kind of in the middle Mm -hmm. of when they were trying to plan it out. So by the time the revolution happens in 1789, there are only a third of the dead have been taken out of Paris, mostly put outside of the city but then you know revolution happens and that's kind of you know a thing that that took a while to figure out inconvenient you know yeah that's the thing like whenever i start a task i make sure i don't have a revolution until (laughs) after okay take notes french people take notes (laughs) so they'd be having a revolution and yeah i try to remember the exact order of all the shit that happened in france between 1789 and 1799 when Napoleon Bonaparte finally takes over and then it's kind of a little bit more straightforward but there's just like so many different regimes and changes and shit but at this point they're still trying to figure out this problem with dead because it's still kind of still kind of stinky in Paris and they still need to figure out what to do so basically during this time period a lot of different things are happening and they're trying you know they're changing the government they're changing like how we view ourselves as people there's like enlightenment philosophies going around and so they're saying like uh in this early revolutionary period so in like 1789 to like 1790 they're like hey dudes hey church people i know you're gonna you're mad about these cemetery like moving people out of the city but like it's we're taking care of their bodies, you know, and you don't have a reign over their bodies. Like, sure, their soul, your their soul doesn't need to be right next to you, my guys. Like, just don't worry about it. It's fine. Souls can travel. Yeah, and also these revolutionary people were like, "Hey, these cemeteries that we got are so like depressing, my guys. Like, we should make it a little bit nicer. Like, let's have some green spaces. Let's have instead of like a creepy skeleton statue holding like a the Grim Reaper tool. That's what we're gonna call it. Like, why <laughs> don't we just have some nice trees? That would be nicer so that we could have like a communal space. You know, they wanted to make it nicer and happier and like a place where you could like stroll and have intellectual thoughts instead of it just being like this sinister place for death. Make cemeteries fun. That was what the French Revolution was all about. But the thing is, there is still like a lot of chaos going on in this time. They were killing the king and they were like trying to figure out how to run a society. Then there was like the reign of terror type thing that happened where like 
1792, there was a new regime, and then they're like, hey, we don't want the prisoners to revolt, so let's, like, kill half of them. And so they just, like, killed 1,200 people. So much drama. Yeah, they had all these dead bodies everywhere, and it was a nuisance to have a decapitated body, you know, where you're trying to walk, you know? So they're like, (laughs) ah. And then people are still just, like, burying their dead in these, like, ad hoc cemeteries around the city. So really, they have all these great plans, but none of them are really being implemented. One thing that does end up happening kind of during this period, but really gets promoted by Napoleon, is they start making the Paris catacombs. So one of the solutions they come up with is that there are miles and miles and miles of tunnels underneath Paris, which is creepy, but also ends up being convenient. Also, it was inconvenient because in 1774, they kept collapsing uh, and so the city was kind of sinking. Oh, that's bad. Basically, all these tunnels were where they were mining limestone. So that was another problem. You know, too many dead bodies, too much mining. Uh, They did fortify that. So that was fine. But they're like, hey, we have all these dead bodies. Why don't we just throw them down there in the tunnels? Why not? What a solution. Did the church say yes to that? Because I feel like the church made such a big deal about burial that then throwing bodies into tombs and and tunnels just like doesn't make a lot of sense. But how did the church just think it was okay to just be like piling and piling them up like right in their backyard? And like, did they not think that the ground was going to fill up? People don't undie. Except for Jesus. People (laughs) don't undie. I mean, yeah, I guess they're just all waiting for a resurrection. You yeah, know? I guess so. That would suck if you're resurrected and you're like in this mass grave situation. Yeah. You know? And not everyone else around you resurrected either. And then you have to like go through the bodies. Yeah. Through. So we have to think about, yeah, the people who are being resurrected. We mm-hmm. needed to think about them as well in this scenario. Yeah, I don't think the church was down with it really. Uh, but at this point in time, all the church's property had been nationalized. So they didn't have as much of a say anymore Uh uh-oh they're pissed yeah also i mean people were it it was just a crazy time people were like digging up all these royals and like destroying their bodies and stealing their riches kind of like the tombs they wanted to like shoot them out of cannons just like shoot their body it's just people were they were crazy so it feels like that was the least of people's problems you know just throwing a bunch of bodies in tunnels i'm sure people had problems with it because at first you know They're like, hey, let's put the bodies down in these tunnels. And they just kind of, they did toss them. They're just like, they put them in piles. They're just like, yeah, we'll just put them here. But then, especially under like Napoleon, because I feel like the revolutionaries, they wanted to make France enlightened. But then Napoleon wanted to make it rich. So he was like, hey, what if in these like catacombs, why don't we like make this look nicer? So that people want to go visit it and we can make some money off of some dead people. That's smart. So at one point, an architect went down there and it was like, took all the dead people and like literally arranged their bones in a nice way. And that's what we have today, you know? So they have took the skulls and their one line and took all the femurs and they made that a line. And then it became a tourist attraction. So femur line. That's what you got to do with your dead. You dig them up, throw them elsewhere. Yeah, you the know, end. I just think I just think it's silly that nobody really thought that that was going to end up being an issue. I mean, I guess they were like, that's like a 
future issue. That's not my issue now until it's an actual issue. So I feel like feel like that is happening now where people are coming up with alternative ideas so that they don't have to be, you know, they're contributing more, perhaps, rather than just being six feet under. Yeah. And I think in Paris, we can also use this for our own lives. It's like you just can't let shit build up, you know, Mm -hmm. or it's going to start stinking. It's going to be a cadaverous odor. Just think about that in your own life. Like, what are you letting pile up until it reaches a problem where you have to excavate corpses? When in your life is that going to happen? I am literally about to log off. That is so disgusting, Gabby. But true. <laughs> true. It's a metaphor. On, because I can't afford therapy, I really appreciate us making this a therapy session. Okay, let's let's give Nika a break and everyone else. When we come back, we'll talk about a very fun kind of buildup. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. 
how this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so welcome back. Guess what we're going to talk about now? Corpse Wax. And soap mummies. Yeah. yeah. Corpse wax. It's That's really... my other metal band. Yes. I can't wait to hear what kinds of songs you will have for us. Um, usually we try and keep it on the lighter side, but we are ending on a very dark, sad, and tragic story. So you've been warned. Proceed with caution. It is a very, very sad story ahead. All right. So first I want to talk about corpse wax, and soap mummies. So first of all, what is it? So basically, if or when a body is buried either at sea or the old-fashioned way um, in the soil, um, the body begins to decompose. We all know that. But in certain conditions, specifically warm, damp, alkaline, and a reduced amount of oxygen, a chemical reaction takes place, which is called saponification. And like the simplest way I can come up with to describe it is a chemical reaction between a particular enzyme that like that is found in the soil or water with the fat and that results in like a chemical reaction of a waxy or soapy substance. It's either kind of like a white or gray color, kind of just depends on the body in particular. Where does it, does it grow outside of the body or inside the body? Outside the body. It kind of creates like an encasing. Ew. So then it like basically Yum. preserves your inside. So it's just another form of mummification. It sticks to the bones, leaving basically a soap mummy. Mm. And for this to happen, there needs to be a decent amount of fat. Um, so there is enough to turn into this soap. And this is a problem in places where they flip graves. So basically, there are some instances where you can, I guess you negotiate ahead of time if you're like getting your plot and they say, okay, after like 20 or 30 years, we may move you to re then reuse your plot. And so you're like, okay, whatever, either, either they bury you deeper or they put you in a, um, into like a mass grave site. But this is mm. a problem when bodies are mummified with this corpse wax because the bodies don't really decompose. And it's also just kind of like a weird, it's a weird sensation, like it's a weird thing to come across, right? Because it's a mummy. So they're like, what do we do with them? I think typically, I mean, it's not a very common thing. So there is a lady that this happened to, and she's actually in the uh, Mutter Museum in Philadelphia. So you can go see what that's like. And there's also one other man too that's um, also on display, which I think is so strange. So many mentions of Philadelphia on this episode. Like the guy with the Philly cheesesteak. I know. <laughs> soap woman. Philadelphia is a weird place. It's a weird place. Super weird. 
Um, so uh, my first thought is like, what do you do with wax? You make candles. I'm kidding. Don't do that. That's really gross. It would smell bad. Corpse candles. Corpse candles. And you also, you can't just be like doing stuff with people's bodies unless, you know, you're just a living woman, but <laughs> I kid, I kid. Oh, was oh, that no. some feminism, Taylor? Yeah. Oopsie. Not on my podcast. <laughs> Okay, so here's where it gets really dark. So I was actually Googling that, like, is that a thing? And turns out in World War I, there was a rumor going around that the British um, newspaper said that Germany was making soaps from their dead soldiers, which really, really bad. This carried on to World War II as well. And so people were like, if they're doing that to soldiers... What are they doing with these concentration camps? So people were very freaked out for obvious reasons. Polish people, in fact, were so freaked out that, you know, it would happen to them that they actually boycotted um, soap altogether. Yeah, that is dark as hell. Very dark. So like the reason they thought this was it was almost it felt like it was insinuated on like on certain bars of soap and like there was government made soap and they were like, why do we need to why does government need to make the soaps? But anyway, super scary, super sad. Turns out that it was completely bogus. It was just propaganda, but obviously really freaked people out. Having been to Auschwitz, I also think they kept so many records of all of their victims they were so detailed of like pictures and like medical records, you know, kept all of their materials, suitcases, glasses, shoes, everything. I can't imagine them not being like, oh, here's the soap, which that's well, bad. They but. did like some obviously horrible, horrible shit. So I feel like, yeah, you're right. They would have recorded that because everything that they were doing was already. Just they were already bad. recording the other stuff that was like absolutely horrific. So it seems like they would have with this as well but it was found to be completely bogus so it was british propaganda it was british propaganda so cadaver gals research sometimes goes into very dark places we don't always go there but i did feel like this was something that was applicable to this episode but also or to the corpse wax obviously but you know it's part of it's part of history you know it's history's not always great so there you go. That is an extremely true statement. <laughs> History, not always great. Not always great. Anyway, thank you for listening to Good Africans. <laughs> Cadaver Gals is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. It's hosted, produced, mixed, researched, etc. by Gabby Watts, Nika Duarte, and Taylor Church. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cadaver Gals. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. 
Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.